Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Rad Dad Brett here welcoming you to another episode of the Rad Dads Show. This one is an extremely special one for so many reasons. I had the pleasure of doing this interview on location in Fort Collins, Colorado, home to iconic recording studio, The Blasting Room, who are celebrating their 25th anniversary of making some of punk rock's most influential records. I sat down in studio with its founder, the one and only, the drum ogre himself, Bill Stevenson. In addition to running The Blasting Room, where he puts a signature touch on so many important records, it's most likely you know Bill as the drummer for Descendants and All, and numerous other projects over the years, including another little band you may have heard of, Black Flag. The guy is a total powerhouse in punk rock, and as it turns out, a pretty rad dad too. We'll talk raising kids in the age of the internet, finding time to connect with your kids despite a hectic touring schedule, and so much more. This was such an honor for me, as Bill is one of my true musical heroes. So sit back and enjoy my interview with songwriter, producer, engineer, drummer, and dad, Bill Stevenson. For you to take the time out of your day is, is really important, means a lot. So thanks for being here. Oh yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you for inviting me. So we'll start off with the first question. Who are you? Uh, I'm Bill Stevenson. Uh, I guess people would know me as the, uh, being a member of the band The Descendants. They might also know me through my uh, having been a member of Black Flag. Uh, I also own a, a recording studio called The Blasting Room where I uh, produce and engineer uh, a lot of records which are prominent in the uh, punk rock scene. Uh, but probably more uh, importantly than any of those hats that I wear or those monikers would be that uh, I am the father of Miles and Madeline Stevenson. And what are their ages? Miles is uh, 21. And, or, uh, Maddie, Maddie is 21 and Miles is 18. Yeah, don't get that question wrong on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're used to it. I'm, I'm uh, uh, notoriously and annoyingly uh, absent-minded, so they're used to it. They would, <laughs> it wouldn't surprise them if I screwed something up like that. Parenthood doesn't help with that either. <laughs> so um, are you able to talk a little bit about where the names came from for Miles and, and Maddie? Uh, they're not, they're not l like other people's namesakes or anything. They're just cool names. So just, yeah. you were trying to think of names. One came up and you were like, yeah, that's it. Yes. That's how we found it. Yes. Okay. What are the most rewarding aspects of being a father? You already mentioned it's to you more important than anything you've, you've built and you've built a lot. I think uh, the stuff that I'll remember most when I'm uh, old or, you know, when I'm on my uh, proverbial deathbed, the stuff I'll remember most is probably just the, the moments where, where we shared something, whether it be that I was able to teach them something or, uh, or so they were able to teach me something, um, where we kind of um, were able to transcend the 
parent parent child dynamic and and more be bonded kind of as as soulmates or as as best friends uh, those those are going to be uh just I, I mean even just i remember laying on the floor on the ground on the carpeted floor with maddie and and just laying down on the floor with her as if i was as if i was three or whatever however old and working with her with the little the little plastic numbers and letters yep and teaching her how to count i mean i remember the day that i taught her to to recognize the numbers and to count up through them i mean i'll never forget that day that day was uh more important than you know any day ever in the world and then and then with with miles maybe it came something like that maybe it came later which is like in the last six months miles has taken an interest in guitar so i'm sitting with my son and showing him how to play you know a ramon song or whatever song he wants to learn how to play and that that is not uh, there's nothing better than that. There could not be anything better than doing that with your child. Um, those are just wonderful things. It's amazing. So for you, it's that connection, right? It seems like it's it's less about the, the things you do, but more about how it kind of changes you. And just And also just of having real... T- real time with them uh you know because of the career i chose i basically been in a situation where i work you know 18 20 hours a day every day no days off ever i've been doing it for years in real recent times that has finally subsided a little bit we've had enough success with things to where but i mean when the kids were young it was all i could do it's all i could do to squeeze in you know a sunday morning and yeah and get on the floor with maddie and teach her teach her how to how to count or whatever uh it was all i could do to make those times so i just remember i remember the times when i pushed my work aside and i pushed my social life aside and whatever and i just focused uh on my child or children uh those are those are the things i'll probably remember about my life like when i'm when I'm dying, those will be the last moments that I think of are those moments I spent in, in being present and being wholly focused on and interested in my children. And you've got older children than some of the people we have on the podcast. How does that sort of, how has that changed over time? Like, you know, you talk about those moments where you're teaching them how to count these like very fundamental things that, you know, that are so important to, to later in their life when they're, you know, learning new skills, playing guitar, learning music, getting interested in a a job or, or whatever. How has that sort of changed your, your opportunities to really connect and, and be present with your child, especially as you know, they're going through teenage years and things like that. Maybe they're not as interested in kind of connecting. I'm finding different ways. Uh, I think now that they're young adults, they're 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 fully functioning humans, right? Okay. <laughs> so now that they're yeah, eighteen and twenty-one, I think they're 
uh, I, I'm, it's more like I, I more like have a, I more have a friendship with them first, but within that friendship, I, I have sort of a hidden agenda, which is that I look for the, the opportunity to sneak in a teachable moment without them realizing that right. it's happening. You see, when they're when they're little, every moment is a teachable moment, and right. and oftentimes you have their their attention fully, or what you learn to do when they're toddlers is you learn to recognize when you do have their full attention and then you can teach them anything yep. if you have their attention. It's not but, that easy when they're but toddlers. If, but if they're ignoring you, then you shouldn't be trying to teach them anything because it won't happen. But as as the kids are older, you know, the, the dynamic changes and it's more like I'm a, I'm a, uh, just a stealth stealth teacher and I'm looking I'm looking for you know just the right moment where I can sneak in a little lesson um, that will you know that will hopefully benefit them uh. yeah that's really cool that's really cool so we've talked a little bit about this already you talked about how you know those those moments where you have an opportunity to teach your kids something are really important right and and really meaningful to you but also you touched on that they teach you things, right? So in what ways has fatherhood changed you? The first thing is when they were babies and toddlers, that was an instantaneous transformation because uh, all of a sudden life isn't about me anymore. Life's about them. It's not about me. And the idea of being self-centered just goes out the window. And this is a this is a great thing because I lived most of my life being pretty selfish, pretty self-centered. I kind of just only only sort of worried about, you know, my own my self-interest. I think this is common for young people, mm-hmm. young adults, but but uh the kids snapped me out of that immediately and I um uh, I would uh, more consider myself almost a selfless person these days. Uh, not only because of the kids, but they certainly started that train rolling of of me recognizing that the the most joyful things in life are when when I put myself last and I put others first. So they taught me. They taught me that early when they were born. Then, then um, let's see, Miles. I mean, he'll he'll teach me things even on a on a on a on a friend level, a buddy level. He'll send me a link to some band. Like he sent me a band link to this this band, Mongolian band. They're called the Who. Okay. And. And it's crazy, and it's like, whoa, this is like my new favorite thing. And my son, so my son taught me about music yeah. that, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? I would be taking cues of what the new, the new band is from, from Miles. Um, and, yeah, let, let's see. What has Maddie taught me lately? 
Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right at this moment, but I'll, I'll ruminate on it and just blurt it out like okay. in a minute. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of bad that way. Like, oh, that's great. We put you on the spot, so. No, my brain just runs me in circles. It just, uh, it's just, I can't, I can't control my thoughts. That's okay. We'll, we'll try and, we'll forge on and then you let me know when you have, uh, when something comes up. Um, so it's almost like, you're almost describing that like, the way it's changed you is kind of taking you out of yourself as like, you know, the priority in your life. And it's really about somebody else. But then it's, it's evolved into not just in that nurturing way, but uh, like friendship. And like you said, like kind of the soulmate relationship with your kids, right? Where you're like, you're, you're different people, but you're like one unit, right? One unit together that when one is doing well, when one's happy, the others are happy too, right? You kind of, yeah, that's I, kind of what you're describing. The, I mean, the best, the best time I've had in, in a long time was just walking into my basement and Miles' Miles's little band he started, they were trying to, trying to record the, their song because I have a little small studio in my basement, right? Okay. But they don't really know how to do it, but they're learning. And I, I had uh, something I was, gonna grab something out of the basement and then come up here I had something I had to do yeah. but I saw him in there trying to get their song recorded and I just kind of texted the I texted the people with whom I had the appointment and I said I'm gonna have to cancel uh, something has urgently come up and then I recorded them I engineered them and recorded a quick demo for them it took about two hours three yeah. hours and so, like, I have this demo of Miles's band now, and I just just doing that with him, like me actually recording him for real playing guitar was so I can't I can't explain what a great feeling it was. It was just just amazing. Uh, is is it because you see like a bit of yourself and and your history and your you know you growing up and having those experiences of learning music and playing music? Is that is that? I, I mean, it could it? be. It could just be this big ego thing where oh well, he's. He's my blood, so he's me, so I'm great, or something like that. It doesn't feel like that, though. Because plus, his, his, like his playing style and his musical interests and stuff, they're not, they're not echoes of me at all. He's his own dude. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know what's cool? Here's what's really cool. About <laughs> a year ago, Maddie and I, we went to Mexico, just the two of us. Yeah. So we went to Mexico the way, the way... You know, young kids would go to Mexico with their friends, but yep. it was just me and Maddie. Yep. We had so much fun. We totally raged. It was, it was not. It was like the opposite of a father-daughter thing. It was like a total friend, like just a bonding trip. We, you know, both of us. You know, we'll never forget that. It was just total bonding. It was great. That's cool. That's really something cool. happened. We were gonna have a family vacation, and and Miles had something come up where he couldn't go, and Stacy did, and it's like and Maddie just goes, look. Daddy, let's go to Mexico. I'm like, yeah, let's go to yeah. Mexico. That's so cool. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I mean, just that she would want to do that with me. If it's a family vacation, right? Okay, you have to. Yeah. But that she just she chose to do that with me as opposed to choosing to do it with some of her friends. That's that that to me means I haven't. I haven't alienated her so bad. Right. There's not that father wall up, but right. it's more like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's my father, but we hang. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's great. really cool. Yeah. I'm actually here in Fort Collins with my dad this weekend. I was planning to come down for the show. Oh, yeah. Stacy mentioned that your dad's here. Yeah. And so my dad was like, yeah, I'll come along. He really 
doesn't have any clue about any of this that's, that's happening, but he's been really cool about it. And it's, it's those times when you, you know, can kind of just hang out with no, it's not like this, you know, reason you're getting together some family dinner or, you know, event, but you're just hanging out and you're having fun and it's cool. And you're, you're, you, you respect that person who's across from you on a friendship level, not just like I have to, cause they're my family member. I feel like my kids are, they both, they both have uh, good hearts, good souls, good consciences. They're both, they're both, they're both, they're both good people. And that, that to me is, if you can raise kind, well-intended, good people, then, then you did a good job as a parent. Uh, it doesn't matter their career or how far they choose to go in terms of educating themselves those things those things are nice you know but that's not what makes the world go around what makes the world go around is uh, people being uh, considerate of one another and us all trying to cooperate with each other and take care of each other rather than compete with each other and I think my kids are both way tuned into that and that makes me very happy that seems like something that's being here in Fort Collins right and so there's Last room and all and the descendants and all these things that occur. I've been here the last five days and everyone's been so nice and so caring and like, oh, you came from out of town. Like, let's give you this cool experience and help you out and tell you about cool places to go. And everyone's been so nice. And it, as I'm reflecting on that, it seems like it's kind of a thing that almost starts from you know from you and and the culture you've built in your band and and then your family and it sort of has spread out into this whole community do you know what I mean like I'm I'm not saying like you know it's all you that started it but I'm, I'm saying this ripple effect that you're sort of talking about about doing nice things for for other people it is almost I've almost sort of seen this like personified in, in my trip down here it seems like everybody I've met has been so nice and cool and helpful well, that's an interesting perspective. I think I think that I'm I'm very I'm very interested in what you just said. It's it's uh, got me thinking about a lot of things. I'll speak to it because I have almost a, an an, a, an opposing story. Okay. So I <laughs> I grew up in L.A. the L.A. area, Hermosa Beach. When when I moved here 25 years ago, and I would meet people around in, in the grocery in the restaurant, in the club, and they were so, so friendly and so kind that sadly, because of my upbringing, I became initially suspicious of them. And the first, my first thought wasn't, oh wow, what a really nice person. My first thought was, what do they want from me? What are they, what are they trying to get from me? And it, and it took me probably a shamefully long amount of time, maybe a couple years of being here. And then I just finally realized, no, this is just, people here are just nice. They're just nice. And so then that helped, that helped me become nice. I mean, for a, for a lack of a more uh, sophisticated way of saying that. <laughs> right. And uh, so, it, yeah, it's great. And But I think what you're observing, it's I think it's more this town than than me, but I'm but I would like to think that I'm doing my part to right. perpetuate that vibe these days. Yes. Right, right, cool. Yeah, that's a really neat perspective. It's really interesting to hear that. So it's almost like you came here and 
it wasn't just you kind of changing Fort Collins by being here no. and bringing bands in and all that stuff, but Fort Collins sort of the culture Changed around me. here, yeah, feeding into you know what you yeah. built at the Blasting Room and 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 with your family. So you touched on something that's interesting about like you know being cautious about people, and that's a, that's something that you have to talk to your kids about, right? When they're especially when they're little, right? So. I don't know if you have any thoughts about like how you address that kind of thing with your kids. You said you want to bring them up to be nice people or whatever, but, um, yeah, I've never, I've never bought into the don't talk to strangers thing. I think to me, and as I walk through life, I assume that everyone is my friend. I don't assume that they're my enemy. I assume if I walk by someone, I assume that they're a decent honest person I don't assume that they're that they're um, a, a criminal or something you know what I mentioned before about me being suspicious that was just because I had not been exposed to this great of quantity of overt <laughs> nicety so it put me it put me on on edge a little bit but no I, I I come I have always operated from a paradigm that we're all we are already friends that I don't I don't have to assume that 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 we can't talk. I, I assume that we can talk. Right. That we could talk immediately w- w- within 15 seconds of knowing meeting each other. We could have an in-depth conversation or something. I work from that paradigm. So with kids, it was always yeah difficult because I want to tell them yeah talk to every stranger. Everyone is your friend, but when you have someone that's small and tiny and helpless and defenseless, that's not necessarily a safe way to go to navigate that right so then i would be straddling those fences on a kind of a daily or even hourly basis right that i didn't have a depth i didn't have a way of defining it away i had to just navigate each each wake as it came right so this this kind of ties nicely into what i want to ask you next and it's kind of a two-part question so this is the rad dad show do you consider yourself a rad dad I, I I don't I, I don't really think in myself in terms of whether how good or bad I am I, I just don't I don't um, I don't I don't have that type of a my brain doesn't work like that I, I think that I I've tried to do my very best and I will continue to to do my very best to uh, make sure that my kids are happy and well cared for and that they in turn are able to develop into people that are contributing something to the society whether it be whether it be becoming a doctor or becoming a punk rocker or whatever it may be uh, I could only hope to do a good job with that and, and if that makes me rad well then rad so when we talked to John Snodgrass he said something very similar he said, well, like, I, I can't decide if I'm a rad dad. You have to decide if I'm a rad dad, right? Like, that's, that, I can't put that label on myself. And, you know, we, we don't have a checklist here where I'm, like, circling, oh, yeah, four points on that answer. And, and we're going to tell I you you're the, a rad dad I at the end. I think the tombstone might say it. Like, like, I don't want my tombstone to say, here lies Bill Stevenson. He could do these eighth note drumming things better than anyone else. I want it to say, 
Here lies Bill Stevenson. He was the best father ever. So, yeah, you just answered the question, you know. You, that's what that's I want. I don't know if that's what will happen, but that's what I want. So, so if, if we were not asking this question of you, but we asked you to help us, Bill, what, what are the traits of a rad dad? If you were defining what's a rad dad, what makes a good dad, and you've touched on some of those things already, what it means for you, can you kind of expand on that? It's, I can only, I think I can only talk about maybe a few things that I would have done differently because the, it's hard to, I don't have like, here's the five pointers and right. then you're a great parent. I don't, I don't have that handy. Yeah, if someone had that, but, they'd make a lot of money. But I, <laughs> I feel as though when the kids were young, I was maybe a little bit too uptight or neurotic of a parent, like really trying to keep them from hitting their head on anything or keep them from saying the wrong thing or learning the wrong thing or watching the wrong thing. And I think I could have, I could have instilled some, some uh, panic or neuroses into their personality. <laughs> by me being that way, even if they weren't old enough to be conscious of it. I noticed it was, I was more that way with Maddie because she was my first, and then less that way with Miles. Right. So I guess, I'm, I, guess I, I'm, I just learned not to be quite so, hmm, what was the right word? Just controlling or uptight, trying to, to just, if I control every single aspect then everything will turn out perfectly because it's not true. You, like you have to l leave them room to think for themselves, even if it does mean they're gonna climb up and tree and, and maybe they are gonna fall, maybe they're gonna break their arm. It's like, if they, if they have to learn those things when they're young, because otherwise they'll be, they'll be a young adult and they won't have learned how to think for themselves and they'll make decisions that could really harm them terribly if they don't have that ability to think for themselves. I'm using the tree analogy because I feel like I kind of protected Miles from climbing when he was really, really young. Never letting him climb for, for fear of him injuring himself. Right. But then when he was in say, let's just say first, second grade, when you're at the little jungle gym in the playground, his skills weren't at the level of the other kids and so First of all, he maybe got a little bit of made fun of, and second, um, he could have actually really injured himself trying to compete with them on their level. And I'm saying I should have allowed him to maybe f climb and fall a little bit more when he was young, and then not just not just throw him out there when he's seven and go, okay, well now you got to go do this thing with these other kids. Only you don't know how to do it at all because I didn't let you do it. Yeah. So that that thing of trying to let him let him fail. When they're young, don't try to prevent them. Not try to prevent every failure. That the when they what? I mean, we learn from our failure. That's how we learn where the sideboards are. That's how we learn. Right. We learn how to do better next time. And it, so those. That's like a, it's like a muscle. Yeah. It's like anything else. And if you protect them too much, like I always say, you if you try to pad, you know, like a padded room, yeah. you can't pad the whole world. <laughs> right. You have to let them go out and bonk their head. Right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because. Um, it kind of connects two things that you said, I think. So first of all, that sort of like 
neurosis or or like almost obsession with your child's safety, especially with the first one, that's really common, right? Like most parents who, especially who have more than one child. And so I, I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and we see it for sure. That exact same you raised, thing. You're raising the one-year-old completely oh, differently yeah. than you raised the four-year-old. Well, And that's, that's sort of how it was with Maddie and Miles. I mean, part of it is you've learned a lesson. Part of it is also your your attention has to be kind of divided as well. You've got a, the four-year-old yeah. to pay attention to, so the one-year-old's in the other room climbing on the couch and learning those lessons, not necessarily because you've you've made the decision <laughs> to, to give them that opportunity, but because you're cooking dinner and you're, you know, whatever in the other room, right? So there's, there's those, I think there's those two sort of aspects to it, right? I, I got, I have a couple stories I just thought of. The first one's kind of, uh, slightly serious and but then the second one's fun and funny <laughs> so uh, we were at a park it was me miles and maddie let's say I, i'm gonna just say maddie was four and a half and miles was two i i i, I don't know just let's just say let's say Ish. let's just say two and four i don't know and at the exact moment that we're sitting there Maddie takes off running for a fairly swift river that was about 40 yards to my left. And Miles takes off. Now, Miles is little, little. Right. Takes off for a little pond that's about 40 yards the other way in wow. opposite directions. And I mean, it was almost like they planned it yeah. to see what, how I would do. Neither one of them knew how to swim. So, oh my gosh. I I I I just I had to get up and run and I got Miles right before he went to the pond. And then with Miles run back and got Maddie right before she went to the river. And and I got back and I and then I sat down and I I was like, "Wow, that so could have ended not like this. That so could have ended poorly." And it was just so it was scary. It is scary right. is what I'm saying. They're, you're in charge of their life. You're, it's your job to keep them alive. So it is scary. So it makes it easy to be neurotic. Exactly. Because, well, what if that thing... I mean, that thing did happen. Right. And that's, that's almost impossible. The odds of that happening are almost impossible, that they would both go at the right. same time in different directions. But it did happen. So it does make you, does make you crazy. Right. For sure. Yeah. It's terrifying, right? Yeah. They, these kids, especially when they're little... They're so good at finding ways to just about kill themselves, right? So no wonder you're, as a parent, you're just like, no, don't do that. We can't go out there. You can't do that by yourself, right? And then you have these experiences and it almost get, just makes it Or worse. when they get into something. Right. When they get into something. Maddie, Maddie comes in and she's got a can of, like, bug spray. Yeah. She goes, I eat. And I just grabbed her, and I we lived one block from the hospital. Yeah. I just grabbed her and took her to the hospital, and they gave her the charcoal shake yeah. and everything. But there wasn't; she didn't eat it. I think she was saying, "I want to, I want to eat it." But yeah, it, again, it went. It's fine. But uh, yeah, you like you can't lock everything up in a cupboard either. There's always going to be someone's going to always put something somewhere that they can get into. And you're not always in charge, right? Your kids go to daycare, they go to in school, charge. or whatever, right? And so. Yeah, things can happen. Okay, but now here's the here's the. This is my proud, punk rock dad moment. Okay, so before you, before you tell me this story, I'm just gonna acknowledge. So we actually later, typically, 
we have a thing called the rad dad bad dad feature so where you tell a rad dad story and you tell a bad dad story not a bad dad but kind of one of these parenting fails or like oopsies or scary things so you already did that and i'm guessing you're about to tell me the rad dad story so this is cool so the one i just said about the lake is the bad dad story well this is this is similar to to what uh what you know most other people will say it's not like i screwed up i did something really bad but like one of these like scary is it like where you call child services (laughs) hopefully it's not one of those moments right but Uh, but those happen too right where it's like you just you you made the wrong decision screwed up right and you didn't do it because you're you don't love your kid but you made a bad decision and something happens right so Right, so right, yeah, right. so go go ahead, go ahead. Wait, I lost track though. Are we on the good story or, or are you, uh, do I need a worse well, story? Well, I think you said you you were gonna tell me about like I'm you know a great like I was, punk rock dad I was, story. But so then that's... you made me sound like I need to tell a horrible one. <laughs> no, 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 oh. no. Go go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So, Miles was quite young. I'm gonna say three. Uh, he was just learning how to read. And so I would sit beside him on his bed, and he would read in the evening. And the book we had for that day is called uh, All About Sharks. And so he starts off reading, and and he's got his finger on each word, and he goes, The sharks have been around for... 600 million years. That's 400 million years before the dinosaurs ramoned the earth. <laughs> so he knew he knew the word ramones, but he didn't know the word roamed. <laughs> You know, That's be- awesome. before the dinosaurs roamed the earth. But he goes, before the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Yeah, so you just kind of turned around and did a silent, like, yeah, pat myself on Yeah, the back. it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And then I just, Maddie always had songs when she was a kid, like, like, uh, like, uh, let's see, what was one of her hits? I don't want the gassy dad. I don't want the gassy dad. Like she would, <laughs> she'd be telling me to get away from her. <laughs> or dad, and then like, yeah, daddy is the one that did it. All these, all these little songs yeah. she would make up, and I would record them. That was her fun. Those are fun times. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you have? You've got like recordings of those kinds of things. I'm sure I do somewhere. Home? Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like this day and age, now everybody's got their cell phones, and right, like kind of touched on this in a couple other interviews but um it's so much easier to capture those memories and those kinds of things now but i'm interested in your thoughts and this is we're kind of going off script here but i'm interested in your thoughts on technology because you had made that comment about kind of like engaging with your kid and and the importance of engaging and and being there and having those moments laying on the floor and teaching them how to count and do you have any thoughts about like, you know, now being out and seeing parents like maybe, you know, filming their kid doing something and do you think, should you just be down on the ground with your kid doing that thing or 
you, you kind of said something on the blasting room tour yesterday about that. Like you were telling us about the, the sound protection in studio C and how it's shaped like the, the black flag bars. Right. And there were, I, I was in there and I was doing it too. Right. Pull out my phone and try and take a picture. And you're like, no, no, no. Like, come on. Like, let's experience it first. And how does that apply to parenting? I'm, I'm just curious. This is not something we typically I, I, ask. I really don't know because I don't, I don't tend to judge how other people live their life. But yeah, to me, to me, um, posting a picture of, um, hey, I, I cooked enchiladas and putting them on <laughs> the social media. To me, that, that, to me, we're, we're really just, we're wasting the internet. We're wasting it. And, uh, when, when it was first kind of becoming a public thing, the internet, I thought this is going to be great. Everybody's going to have access to all the information. Right. Anyone can educate themselves as much as they want, become informed as much as they want. But that's not really what we're using it. It's really Budweiser commercials and pornography. We're right. not. We're not really doing it right at all. We're doing it shitty the same way we did it shitty before the internet was a thing. But as far as how it relates to parenting, I don't. I don't know. I don't care. I. I don't choose to put every little second of my life or my kid's life uh, to have it recorded or filmed. I mean, the memories, the memories are so much better than any photo or any video. The memories are, are, uh, are everything. So you talked about lying on your, your deathbed and those memories being there, and that's going to be the most important thing to you. You don't see yourself lying on your deathbed and holding your iPad and Scrolling through videos, right? No. This is what you're saying. No, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> so, so this is, I guess, kind of interesting because you've got older kids. And so something that I realize when I'm around sort of like teenagers, I've got teenage cousins. Um, and I, you know, I have some coworkers who are a lot younger than me. And I've realized how they use the internet. So I'm curious on your perspective of like, your kids being in that age group, like when, when I see like they're using apps, Snapchat and stuff, I, I don't even, I don't get it. Right. I don't understand how they're communicating. I'm, I'm like, I consider myself a techie guy and you're, you're a techie guy. You know how all this stuff in the studio works. Right. But like, we're out of touch, man. Right. Does it feel that way? Do you, do you feel that way with your kids? We're, we're supposed to be out of touch. That's the way of it. My dad, couldn't get his head around a you know nervous breakdown by <laughs> black flag or whatever and 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 I can't get my head around uh, TikTok or Vine or Snapchat right. or whatever it is I just don't I just don't I but it's fine you're not we're not supposed to be on the same page as the next generation they're supposed to be bringing new things into it it's that's the way it's the it's the circle of life it's how humanity moves forward. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, it's Hopefully great. Hopefully it's moving forward in a good direction. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It is very cool to see how young people have figured out how to do new things and experience things in a new way using technology, right? In just ways we could have never fathomed. So you probably knew this was coming. We, you touched on your dad. And I've seen filmage, and I know in filmage they get into that in quite a bit of detail. But there may be listeners who who haven't. 
And one of the things we like to ask is about, you know, your relationship with your father. And it's been pretty public because of filmage. You've also written songs about it. Amazing songs like Steve's Boy, One More Day. Powerful songs. So clearly, you know, your relationship with your dad growing up has had a huge impact on you. And I'm, I'm interested to, to kind of hear your thoughts on that a little bit. And maybe how it relates to I, how you approach your kids. I think the, the way Filmage was edited, they, they chose to take a snippet of me talking that made it sound like my things with my father were, you know, worse than they actually were. Okay. That's one unfortunate thing about Filmage is that they didn't, the clip they chose to use kind of skewed people's perspectives a bit to where it makes it seem like it was worse. Uh, I guess you're supposed to do that for a dramatic effect or whatever, but I, I you know, I... I that's, so that's, that's something so it's, you... a, it's a little bit, yeah, maybe I could, I can talk about my uh, father for a minute. Yeah, but it, it's, I'm saying it isn't as bad as the way that clip made it sound. Okay. Also, um, yeah, they, maybe they just caught me on a, at a bad moment or something. Or, um, well, it seems like you've reflected on your relationship with your dad quite a bit, right? And you've... Yeah, so, I mean, basically, at, at, at the end of it all, I just, I feel bad for my father. I learned, I learned some things long after his death that, that uh, you know, I hadn't known when he was raising me. One thing is that his dad beat them all every day if they did anything wrong. There was four brothers and three sisters. And my grandpa would just beat them if they did anything wrong every day. And my father was beaten. He was raised to be, to be racist, uh, bigoted, chauvinistic, misogynistic, ho uh, uh, xenophobic, homophobic. He was raised in that environment. And so he attempted to sort of raise me that way. But uh, I, I wasn't like that in my heart. And my mom wasn't like that. Either so I, you know, I was able to pull myself away from a lot of those things. But I think the other thing, aside from him being beaten regularly when he was a kid, is that he also um, he, the four brothers all volunteered to go into World War II, and while he was over there freezing to death in the Aleutian Islands. He got a Dear John letter from his fiance, and I think that just that kind of crushed what was left of his faith in humanity. So he 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 was a very bitter, lonely, sad man, and so uh, I, since I was the only one living in the house with him because my sister kind of moved with my mom when they divorced, I kind of had to bear the brunt of that sadness and bitterness. So at the time, and I mean, until recently, until quite recently, I, I would say he was mean or he was cruel, but he wasn't, he was just very broken. He was a broken man who had not, not um, managed to find any happiness, you know? And that's, that's really it. He never hit, hit me or he never laid a hand on me. He never hit me or anything, but he just had a way of making me, making me feel terrible. And um, that's it's okay though. I don't I don't really hold it against him. And I and now that now that I know more about it from talking to his sisters, really, 
they they've explained a bit more of it to me. Interesting. Now it's more like I just feel sad for him. So, this relationship with your dad, it's it's interesting because there's I want to kind of take this in two different directions. One is that you kind of you you made this comment. You know, I wasn't a bad person in my heart. I I didn't kind of go that direction. But you know, we just spent a bit of time talking about how, you know, parents can have such a big influence on their kids. Um, so, so I'm curious, do you have any sort of thoughts on like, how did that evolve that you went a different direction? Cause I, I do think a lot of people, when I talk to them about this when they talk about their relationships with their dads, they talk about, you know, traditions they have in their family and, and things that they do and they want to maintain those traditions. They want to do those things. I think that that's sort of familial bond and how you're brought up you know, becomes very important to people or even maybe not important, but ingrained into them. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on like, how, how did you take that different direction? Well, first I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, okay, there wasn't a lot of stability at, for me a, as a child. Uh, there was the mom, dad, brother, sister thing until I was five. But I mean, who remembers shit from when they're five? I mean, I, I don't really remember much. Right. Uh, and then, then they got divorced and my mom kind of abandoned us for a while and it was, was, it was me and my dad and my sister for a few years. Then when my mom resurfaced and sobered up and she was in AA and doing like really well and managed to never have another drink in her entire life, wow. then, um, my, then my dad said, well, can you, can you take Kathy? Like, you know, you bankrupted us before you left and I have two jobs and I can't, I can't keep up with all this. So then, so then my sister went to live with my mom. And then not, you know, not too many years later, when I was a young teenager, I just kind of moved out of the house and I would sleep on the practice room floor or I would sleep on my friend Pat's floor, my, my kind of fishing partner. And uh, I then became under the influence. To answer your question more specifically now, without all that background I just gave, uh, it was, in fact... Uh, my connections through punk rock that pulled me out of any of the weird teachings that my father had put into me. Uh, spe- quite specifically, the guys in Black Flag were, uh, you know, they were quite a bit older than me. And um, so they were kind of a little bit like father figures to me, or certainly Big Brother. And they were very open minded, non racist, non homophobic non-misogynistic, very open-minded. And uh, so I very quickly learned to, to see things the right way. I mean, it didn't take long at all because I, I had it in me because my mom was very open-minded. So I had it in me. I just had to kind of un- unveil it a Needed little bit. Needed that catalyst. To- yeah, and so I, I thank the punk rock scene in general too because just everything, I mean, really pre, pre-81 or so because... In '81, there was an influx of of like normal culture into it. A lot of and a lot of like jockey shit with right. the hardcore scene and all that. That's different. I don't I don't I don't have much much uh, involvement with that. But the initial punk scene was it was like artists, freaks, individuals, people that don't fit in anywhere else. I have nowhere to go, and uh, and uh, and I was one of those people. I didn't have any friends or girls when I was a kid. No, not really any friends. I just wasn't 
good socially. So, um, yeah, the punk rock kind of pulled me out of all that and just showed me what, that it's okay to just be, be myself, not try to fit in, not try to fit in with the football team people, not try to fit in with the, not try to fit in with the preppies, not try to fit in with the, with the uh, honors uh, class nerds. Uh, it's like I was in the honors classes, the AP class, but I didn't fit in even as a nerd. I couldn't even fit in because <laughs> I, I actually wasn't quite smart enough to qualify as a nerd. Even though I was in those classes, I yeah. was kind of I was a kind of an average student in the classes. So to fit in as a nerd, you had to be in right. the top part of those classes. So yeah, I don't know. So um, you said that like the guys in Black Flag kind of became like father figures to you. Is there like somebody or, or people in specific, like sort of specifically that you really looked up to as kind of like a, a mentor or a role model that really helped to instill those values in you or maybe not instill them in you, but um, really solidify them in you? I can't think of one person. It was just kind of little bits from all those guys. I mean, all of them though too. Spot, I mean, Spot, Ron, Dez, Greg, Chuck, Keith. You know, I've known Keith since I was, I think eight. And so he was always a good influence, even when I was before punk rock. Uh, you know, because he, he worked at the fishing right. tackle store that his dad owned, where I would come and buy fishing bait and tackle. But then I ended up working there too with him later. Uh, and even Frank, I mean, Frank, was, Frank wasn't older than me. Frank was one year older than me. But even he, him and Dave Nolte and Joe Nolte, they, they, they would always point me in the right direction. It wasn't hard. It's not like they were teaching me. All right. I had to do was see how they're living. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't hard, and it wasn't any one person. So do you feel? Do you feel lucky that you? You kind of met those guys at that right time. Do you think your life would have gone a different? If I hadn't gone to the mask and seen whoever we saw that night, like Go-Go's ex, weirdos, germs, whatever it was. If I hadn't gone there, I mean, my my life would be miserable probably i was headed toward being maybe a maybe an attorney or something like that a cpa uh, uh it's, it just would have been lame <laughs> yeah that's that's really interesting that's really interesting because it's like this kind of common thread through a lot of your answers is like this was sort of inside you it's like who who you are was sort of there from the very beginning, and you you had these people. I used the word earlier to kind of catalyst that chemical reaction to to move you down this path, right? Yeah, I I honestly, it's funny with the whole band thing, all of it. I I really do chalk it up to to luck and circumstance. I I just happen to be. I happen to be in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, there are no musical geniuses in my family history. So it's just, we were just very fortunate. We were fortunate to be able to experience that initial first wave of the LA right. punk scene, which was, I mean, that was life-changing. It was, n nothing has ever had that, a bigger impact on me than that scene with those bands. But then also we were fortunate enough to be able to then take a small part in it as kind of the, the second wave of the L.A. punk scene. We but, might disagree about that being a small part, but... 
Yeah, but don't you know how in, deep inside yourself you, you know that you're an imposter? Like, I know that I'm an imposter. I know that whatever good fortune I've had, it's not because I'm a genius or because I'm talented. It's just because I've had the good fortune to have been able to have a little bit of success. I, th I think that's a common thing that people who've had success <laughs> feel, right? It's almost this, like... Like guilt, feel like guilt a fraud. about it almost, right? It, like it's yeah, or or fraudulent. Like I don't feel guilty at all. I just don't take it for granted. I don't. Right. I just think, like I wake up every morning and go, okay, this today's the day the bottom falls out from under this, uh, and I won't be able to. This was really bad 15 years ago or so when I was trying to raise the kids. I, I wake up in a panic and then just it was like work 20. I worked 20 hours a day for. 30 years you know that's that's what I did and uh, so that that put a lot yeah a lot of fear and panic I'm sure that affected my my parenting because I wasn't always like eat on an easy level I was always on edge kind of so help me put this in context I think I have an idea but um, when you had kids so Maddie is the oldest so where where were you sort of in your like career what was happening around that time i was not all was touring like crazy for extremely low money not making much of anything and uh the studio was just developing we had lots of clients but the fees weren't high enough to really make a ton of money i mean i'm saying i was making like 35 to 38 thousand dollars a year wow so, but I just was, I would work. I mean, I la Jason and I laugh about it sometimes. Like that, how, there was a, like a 15 year stretch where we just, it's retarded. If you look at the, our calendars from back then, it's just not even funny. It's not funny how much yeah. we worked. Well, I talked to, I was talking to Fred here yesterday and he was saying like, when they came here to record, like you, you could just record 24 hours a day. You just be working 24 hours a day <laughs> i'd get i'd get here at eight in the morning or so and i definitely wouldn't leave till one in the morning i mean i yeah. just did that forever it's it, whatever it's fine this is, this is this is this is our passion it's what we want to do but but i just mean i've never had the security sake security of career security of like yeah well i'm i'm the best musician in the world <laughs> so i'm always going to have a gig Hell no, I don't think like that at all. I think just like I'm I'm happy to be here. I'll try to wake up today and do a good job and I'll do it again tomorrow. And is that something you try to instill in your kids? That I sort think of they just, the cool thing is that they see it. Yeah. They see it. When I get like my Father's Day card I got from my son last year, it's just like, I, I never taught him any of it. He just watched me and it said like, it just says so cool. Happy Father's Day, Dada. You are the coolest, smartest, most hardworking dad in the world, and I appreciate so much how well you've taken care of us. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. I win. The, yeah, you, I win the parent award right there. It's on that Father's Day card. So that's that's it, man. I didn't I didn't have to that's tell him about. tell him to do that. He just watched me. Just like the other night at the end of the show, we had five pickup trucks worth of gear. Me and Miles, me and Miles, yeah. we pulled that around. I go, you still want to be in a van? He's like, yeah, I want to be in a van. <laughs> That's really cool. That's awesome. So I'm curious, given that all... And Maddie, Maddie, man, she made a great left turn. She's doing a lot of... Um, uh, she's currently, she's 
giving personal care to a, a paraplegic person who was at the show, Les. Um, he's a former professional hockey player. But so Maddie, Maddie is in service of others. She works one job where she does a meal service at, a, at an elderly, a senior home, like a senior citizen home. Not, yeah. a, not a nursing home, but like a senior community. Yeah, senior living. She does their yeah. meal service a couple times a week, and then she takes care of Les, who's a paraplegic, full time. So there's Maddie. Wow. There's Maddie coming around and doing the right thing. Yeah. I, and I, I, told, I told her, I looked her in the eye, I said that what you're doing is the most admirable work a human being could possibly be doing. And as long as you can pay your bills doing that, you have made it. You are 100% success. That's awesome. That must be so nice to see as a, a parent. I can, I can feel the, the pride, right, when you're it's telling me these stories. It's way more pride than them saying, hey, I got accepted to Harvard or whatever. Yeah. That's that, great, okay. But she's helping someone. Right. She's helping people. They love her. When she goes on vacation, they're all, they, they, they miss her and they want her back and everything. It's, yeah. it's, it's, she's, she's helping people. So as a parent, your definition of like your child being a success is not what they accomplish, but who they are, right, is what you're saying. No, and even with like education and master's degrees and all that stuff, I don't, I don't know if that stuff... If I, if I had young kids right now, I'd be telling them, hey, man... Learn how to be a plumber. Learn how to be a carpenter. Learn how to build houses. Learn learn how to do something like that. Like like something that you know. There's there's always going to be a need for a plumber. <laughs> always. Instead of what I did, which is like what I mean. Turn on the radio right now. There aren't even guitars in any of the songs. Right. They're doing it with Macintoshes now. Well, then what do I do? I don't yeah. know how to make music with a Macintosh. I don't want to. <laughs> you know. It's, so it's like I'm saying. I've, I would tell them choose a career that's 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 solid for you. Like if you love if you love animals, you know, become a vet or something. Yeah. Like find something that you love and do it, and don't worry about going to Oxford or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about where you were in your career when Maddie came along. Sounds like it was a tough time. You're working hard. Did you have any fears about becoming a dad? Not, because I, in that Maddie song, it says, yeah. we got to get get your clothes on, we got to get up, uh, We got punk rock won't pay the bills, right. so we got to get started early. So that's like me having to drop her off at, at nursery school or whatever it is, or, and then come here. Right. You know, and I'm even saying, hey, I'd like to hang out today, but I can't. Like what the song says, yeah. it says it all in there, you know. That's a, that's a song, long before I was a parent, that... You could feel that emotion in that song. I, I know a lot the of... The ending is the gnarliest. Yeah. The ending is the greatest. I love it so much. Maddie loves it. She didn't ever understand it when she was a kid, but maybe maybe five years ago she comes into my room and she goes, Daddy, can I want to talk about this Maddie song. And I go, okay, yeah. let's talk about it. Yeah. What was that like? Talking it's like great. It's working through that. It's great. Your emotions are right there in that song, right? You're yeah. But you it's know, documented. that's all I ever do. I only know how to do it that way with the lyrics. I'm not a poet, or I don't have a great imagination. So it just has to be whatever is real for me. That's yeah. what the song is going to be. I just can only write about what I know about. I wish I could be more of a poet, storyteller, poet. I could have more fun with lyrics. But for me, it's like just got to be whatever's real for me. That's what it is. 
Yeah. That's what Steve, I was Steve's boy. I was trying to take care of my father in the desert. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, one more day was when I moved him out here and I was taking care of him here. It, 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 it's all it's all just real. It's yeah, it's my diary. <laughs> right. This isn't really related to fatherhood, but I'm interested in like how, how do you Is that catharsis for you? Is that like I've oh, processed yeah. this emotion? Of course it now? is. Yeah, of course it is. If once seems like once I get a song out of it, especially if I record it, even if I only record a demo of it, which there are a lot of songs that aren't on any records or whatever, even if I just record a demo of it where I'll play everything myself and sing it, yeah. then once that exists, it somehow makes the thing kind of it it makes the thing it turns it into like a memory, a thing right. a thing that's gonna fade away. Right. Instead of a thing that's in front of me all right. the time, it's like it's like it's out here now, so I can sh shove it to the side. Yeah, now. so it is completely catharsis. That's yes. really cool. Yes. So have your kids? I'm curious. Like your kids, have they identified things in some of your songs that, like, I mean, obviously Maddie, Steve's boy, One More Day. Those songs are songs that it, it's it's obvious what the meaning is even to someone on the outside, right? Like once we've right. got a bit of the context, but to them, do they pick up little things in your songs that are like, oh yeah, I kind of know what he's talking about there, or? I, th I think they do yeah. sometimes. I mean, maybe as much with my songs as with other people's songs. Maddie, Maddie's not a punk rocker. She, do she doesn't really listen to, you know, martial guitars yeah. and that kind of stuff, Motorhead, right? She's, yeah. she's not, she's more into, kind of the pop music of the day but see even her I don't know how many years ago she played me this tape of the, somebody called Cardi B and I just thought it was the funniest thing in the yeah. whole world and so me and Maddie would always be listening to Cardi B and I thought it was kind of it was just kind of her and my band I yeah. didn't but then of course Cardi B got huge yeah. and famous but it was like it was cool Maddie showed me this thing and I just kind of I thought it was funny I thought it was hilarious yeah that yeah that's so, not not really my thing either but it's funny you bring that up because I was just telling someone the other day, uh, yeah, like I really shouldn't like it, but I love Cardi B. So that's funny you would bring that up. So how have you, or, and, and maybe maybe we can talk more about like in the past, but how Why do you, shouldn't you like it? No, I, yeah, I don't know. Th this is like the ego of the whole thing, right? Like, Oh, you mean because it's, it's, for us it's better to just dismiss all the pop music and just, yeah. And, right, right. It's, it's and almost easier, And it's almost right? like it's as a punker, it's our job to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Or I at know least to be skeptical of it, I guess. Like, this is, yeah. this is part of that, that ethos is being skeptical. But, but it almost goes opposite I, of what you said about people and just expecting that they're going to be good and they're going to be... Nice, yeah. and you'll get along with them. We should approach, don't you think we should approach music that way well, too? Plus, it's with me, it's even selfish in another way, which is, oh, my daughter's really into this. If I'm able to listen and find something interesting in it, then she and I have another point of, right. of bonding, of, of connection. And this is another teaching moment, right? Yeah. She's taught, yeah. taught you something, and I'll, something. You know, and I'll, I'll uh, so then like I sent her a video of Cardi B complaining on the news about her income taxes and what the money was going to be being used for. So I was trying I was trying to basically say, yeah, your your rap diva here, she also is bringing up some good points about what our income tax money is being yeah. used for because in her in her very dumbed down simple way of speaking, she points out that that you know the, the way the prison systems are and these people they don't even get fresh clothing right. and stuff like that. And uh, so I I was like yeah, Maddie. You know, you always want to listen to the lyrics, even though I don't. I don't 
consider Cardi B to be a benchmark lyricist, but I mean, you always want to see what people have to say. It's like you want to know who made your product that you bought, yeah. and you want to make sure they're doing it in an ethical way or whatever, right? Yeah. I think that's always been something that's been important to fans about about the projects you've been in, right? Is knowing that those people on the other end, they're they're good people and they do the right thing and they, you know, care about people and help people around them. You know, coming that's that's the common theme when I'm talking to people who've traveled here this weekend for the Blasting Room show. It's like everybody's just like, I, I come here and I feel like I've got like a family around me. These people don't know me. You know, other than see my name on, you know, Facebook posting some picture of my, you know, tattoo or whatever. But you come here and there's this 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 ethos, right? This, well, that's, this culture. That's great. That's great that people perceive it that way. I used to really be aware of it and perceive it, but it all got so big that right. I wasn't sure if that was still in place. One thing I always pride myself on, and I guess I hope... I, see how we get the results after that open house but right. I pride myself is that in 25 years there's only been two things stolen from this building and that's from like hundreds and hundreds of bands living here sleeping yeah. here wow only two things in 25 years and I think I think that speaks to the kind of people who are coming here to work which I think that that speaks to who it is that they're coming here yeah. to work with. So, I mean, I used to really think that, but then then as it got bigger, I thought, well, this is kind of watered down now. We're just letting anybody in the door. But but, but it goes back to that thing of, well, that's okay. We're going to assume that everybody's a good person and that everybody's honest and make them prove us wrong, and then we'll disassociate ourselves right. from them. Yeah, you guys have like a, I think I used the word gravity earlier, but like a solar system, right? And there's like descendants or, or the blasting room or something at the center or maybe it's Fort Collins right or, or whatever and then there's like all these projects and people that rotate around it and and they all work together and without those things rotating around it the the center doesn't work either right and and so it's yeah it's a really cool cool thing to experience so over the years because it's probably not so difficult now that your kids are grown How's it been for you, like, dealing with being away from your family on tour um, and being away from your kids and, you know, as, as you've sort of gone through that and even just those long days working here? I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Well, I missed a lot, but um, I learned to, to seize, uh, seize little moments. When, you, when your child... When your children are young, when they're toddlers, they're, they're going to be doing their own thing most of the time. But the, when they come to you and they kind of make an overture to you for attention, it's, it's if you can drop everything you're doing and seize that moment, even if it's only for five minutes, mm -hmm. because then they'll get bored and want to go away. But if you can, if you can remember to, to do that each time when they, when they make an overture to you, Stop what you're doing and get on the ground with them and do whatever we're doing for that five minutes. And that stuff's that stuff's going to add up to them. Even if you don't, you can't just sit sit and play with them all day. You can still you can take advantage of the opportunities that come your way. It's, I missed a lot being on tour, but once once the kids were not babies anymore, I I, I kind of changed my touring schedule uh, around so that. I focused more on being an engineer 
and so I kind of split my time between touring and engineering, and that offered me more time to be at home, to not be gone so much, because I would never want to be an absentee parent. That, I, 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 I toured, you know, much less once I started a family. Well, you guys are known for, you know, especially way back, having these huge long tours, being on tour basically all the time. I think Dave Smalley in Filmage says something about like, okay, we just got back from this huge long tour. And Bill says, okay, like a couple days, like turn around where I've got the next tour booked. And so you guys did a lot of that. What, what, what do the tours look like now or, or maybe over the last 10 years or so while your kids were kind of growing up? Well, was we, it- used to, we used to do, like in the old, old days, I'd say, let's just say we did about 125 to 100, let's just, let's just say 150 shows a year. Uh, now we do more like, 50, 50 shows a year. So we're not really gone. A, we're not gone that much. And that's kind of what we've been doing for the last, say, 13, 14 years. It's maybe 50 shows a year. So it's a lot more manageable. Or in the late 2000s, I think it was less than that. In the late 2000s, it was hardly any. I, I mean, I'm sorry, in the... Yeah, in the late 2000s. And then in, starting in 2010, since then, I'd say we've done about 50 shows per year. Yeah. It's not... Yeah, yeah. And does your family come with you on some of those tours or, or the one-offs, the fly-ins and stuff like that? Every once in a while. Okay. Yeah, every once in a while. That must be nice. It's. I mean, I like I like it if my kids are where I can see them when I'm playing. That's cool. That's yeah. good. good energy for me. So we're kind of getting towards the end here, Bill. I know we've been talking for a long time. So it's been really cool getting your perspective. Um, now, we talked about the Rad Dad, Bad Dad feature. I don't know if you have any other stories you really want to share that, <laughs> you know, about kind of either either that blue ribbon moment or that like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that moment. I guess as a co-parent, uh, maybe a misgiving would be uh, that I, if I had it to do over again, I would try to uh, like argue or disagree with my wife less, uh, particularly in front of the kids. That would be probably something. Now that's obviously very difficult. It's hard to quell that in the moment. Of but course. still, if I look back on it, I don't think that any of that did anybody any good. I think that's a really common common thing for parents, right? Yeah. It can be really stressful dealing with, you know, things that come up with your kids and, and balancing that with your personal life. And when the heat of the moment, yeah, nothing feels worse than it's like yelling at your kid or yelling at your spouse or partner right in in front of your kid and letting them see that like oh this person can you know can be can be bad to me you know what i mean like you want them to think of you as like they're always going to be do the right ne- thing right yeah never you know what i mean they're cool right? yeah yeah even though it's <laughs> you know it's a human it's human nature So, 
what's next for Bill Stevenson these days? What do you what are you doing? Blasting Room 25th anniversary. Do you want to say something about that? Like what this this weekend has meant to you? What, what we celebrated we celebrated 25 years of the studio being around. It's been uh, it was a it was a great time. Uh, so much goodwill uh, toward the studio and toward all the bands and everything. I don't I couldn't have I couldn't have possibly asked for anything more. Uh, it's just too cool. It's very cool. Everyone had the same kind of sentiment as you're walking around talking to people. It's like this place just made memories, made, you know, a community and, and these tangible things, these pieces of art that meant so much to so many people. It's a really cool weekend. What about Descendants all? What's happening there? Oh, we're working on a new Descendants record. Uh, and uh, But it usually takes us a while. We kind of we do it at our leisure. We all have our own little studios at our house, right. too, so we can kind of pass tapes around, pass hard drives around. But we're working on it. We've recorded a bunch of songs. Cool. Yeah. How about all? Uh, we don't have an all thing in the works right now. Yeah. Was it was it cool doing the Dave and Scott show together? I know you've done that before. You did at Punk Rock Bowling, you know, eight or nine years ago. You did Dave, Scott, and Chad. Is that cool to kind of reconnect with, particularly Dave? I know you guys have maybe done more stuff with Scott kind of over the last yeah, number of years. Yeah, but. we stay in pretty close contact with Scott. And, and with Dave, we do too, but by email and text and phone, but not not actually on stage together. It was fun. I really had a good time doing that. I wish Chad could have been there, you know, yeah. so we could have had all four of them going at it. But on the other hand, 46 songs was already <laughs> too many, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Okay, Bill. So any words of wisdom for dads or maybe even future dads out there listening? Any, anything you want to leave them with? Oh boy, a lot of pressure, hey. Um, just love them, show them how to love and how to be kind. Show them how to cooperate and not to compete. Show them how to be generous and not selfish. Show them how to take care of themselves. Show them how to eat right, even though it's very, very difficult. It's impossible. But show them how to eat right. Don't let them go to Burger King every day. You're going you're gonna to kill them if you do that. Um, show them how to be polite. Show them how to... How to if somebody's carrying a bunch of groceries, show them how to open the door for them. Show them how to be a decent human being. I guess that's it. That's great. Thanks, Bill. I really appreciate your time and sitting down. This has been been really cool to chat with you about this. So hopefully we'll uh, yeah we'll cross paths in the future. Thanks for your time. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, this is going to be a really cool one. Yeah, it's good talking. To you.